I'd ask that you would grab God's Word into your hands and open up to the book of Titus this morning. Titus chapter 2, and we'll find ourselves in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Now, we've been looking uh, for some time now at this uh, book of Titus, and we find ourselves in the middle of chapter 2, uh, looking at uh, Paul's letter to young Titus and articulating the role of each of the different groups within the church. And the basis of this teaching is found in Titus chapter 2, uh, that Titus is called to teach that which is in accord with sound doctrine. And we've talked about old men and, and young men and older women and younger men, women, and today we'll be talking about uh, that of slaves and masters and uh, our application as workers and employers. But all of those roles, as different as they may be, are things that we must live out wherever we're at in accordance with sound doctrine. In fact, at the end of chapter 1, as you're turning there, Titus is told that there are two groups of people. In the beginning of chapter 1, he says there are elders, mature men of the faith who are stable in their walk with Jesus Christ and those who are to lead the church. But then there are false teachers. And the false teachers, while they speak a good game, while they say that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, at the end of chapter 1, Paul tells Titus this in verse 16, that these false teachers claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Because of that, they're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Now, that's a key part of the passage for us this morning, because we have been talking about the role of men and women within the church, the job of older men to teach the younger men of the church how to be temperate and self-controlled and mature, How the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be busy at home, and to be kind. And yet now we move from not just dealing with uh, the church, but dealing with our place in the marketplace as well. I want you to imagine for a moment that I was to give you tickets today to the Bears game in Detroit against the Lions. And you're excited, you're a Bears fan, and and you get there, and you've heard all week long about how the Bears are preparing to beat the, uh, uh, the Detroit Lions. And they're preparing, they've been practicing, they've been figuring out the opponent's schemes, and they've got it all figured out, and you're ready for them to run out of the tunnel, and as soon as they introduce the Chicago Bears, nobody comes out. You begin to wonder, where, where are they? they? They should be ready to play. This is go time. And little do you know, you hear some voices behind you, and you turn around, and and there are some of the the players. Jay Cutler, Paul Edinger, you've got uh, Robbie Gould, and and all of the wide receivers and, and running backs. And they're sitting in the stands with you. And they make the comment, instead of doing our part and playing the game, we would rather uh, just fit in with the rest of the crowd. Instead of playing what we've been called to do and to play the game that we've been called to, we're just going to sit back and, and just be one of the group. Well, for many here in, in your church today, many of us find ourselves doing exactly that. Uh, We go and we practice and we prepare. Each Sunday we come into church and we are encouraged uh, to live a God-fearing life. We know that victory is assured and the battle is won. We've been given the armor of God to fight the battle that is before us. And we've been told that we can go out in the world and change the world. And when it's go time, when Monday rolls around, we have forgotten that which we have been taught on Sunday, of that which we've been encouraged by our brothers and sisters in Christ how to live, 
And instead of being the combatants in the world that we've been called to be, instead of being the light in the world of darkness, we would rather find ourselves just fitting in with the crowd. Instead of playing the part that God has called us to, we would far rather just be one in a group of just myriads of people who just go to work, do their duty, and leave. Well, Paul has a word for all of us today. A word that will teach us what it means to be a Christian in the marketplace. In our small groups this week, a question was brought up in our discussion, and that was, uh, how important is it uh, in comparison to the worship of a church as it is into the witness of the church? Uh, What is more important? And I I think in some ways that's a trick question because without worship, we have no opportunity to give back to God that which he's given to us. But just as important as our worship here on Sundays, as special as this time is, our witness is just as important. We have to now leave this place and go and share the goodness of Jesus Christ. And that will find itself in times where it's easy to do it, to communicate to a a child of yours uh, the love of Jesus Christ and and hearing them just gush over what what they're learning God has done for them. But it also comes in difficult times, especially for us who find ourselves in the workplace. Because that's a place that's full of competition. That's a place where it's a dog-eat-dog cutthroat in many ways. And yet what Paul is going to articulate to us today is we have a job to do. And that job will share the gospel of Jesus Christ even before we open our mouth and share John 3.16 with the person next to us. So let's look at what we need to learn about what it means to witness while we work. I'm going to ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word as we look at uh, Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. This is what the text says. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about our God, our Savior, attractive. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we we pray. Our heart's desire is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be attractive. And Lord, many times I know that I fail at that. Lord, I fail at that when it comes to uh, some of my responses and my actions here at church. But Lord, I know there's even a greater temptation as we leave this place and the company of other believers that we are so tempted so many times to do things that would not bring any attraction to your gospel. And so Lord, I pray for each person here today. Lord, I pray for those that each and every day find themselves out in the marketplace. Lord, whether it's in regards to work, whether it's just next door over at the Jewel or, uh, or the other shopping centers, Lord, or if it's just engaging with a neighbor, that, Lord, in all that we would do, that we would live in such a way that would make your gospel attractive. Lord, I do also pray for all of those employees that are here. Lord, I pray uh, some have great bosses that love them and, and minister to them above and beyond what they're called to as employers. And yet, Lord, I know that there are supervisors and managers and employers in the, the workplaces that are represented today that make it an absolute terror to be a part of uh, uh, every Monday morning and every work week that comes. And so, Lord, I pray that no matter what our situation is in the workplace, 
that we would do all that we can in serving you first, that we would be able to serve even the toughest of employers. And Lord, that in doing so, we might win that tough employer, uh, that angry boss or supervisor, because they too need Jesus. Give us the heart that we need to accomplish this. And now, Lord, teach us what you will from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to get right into the text this morning and bring up my first point. As we look at this text this morning, we have to revisit, first of all, the issue of slavery. Now, I want to be careful because in looking and and listening to uh, a couple different uh, sermons in regards to this passage of Scripture, uh, right away, uh, each of the the pastors that I listened to jumped right away to the workplace, right to our present-day application. But to be true uh, to the intention of Paul's writings, we have to understand that Paul uses words like slaves and masters. Notice, teach slaves to be subject to to their masters and everything. And so we need to understand that whom Paul is writing to is not just a boss employee. He's not talking to uh, the one who, the individual who works at the bank or the individual who works in the retail shopping center, but he's talking to an individual who has far less control over his employment than we do today. There was no such thing as unions back in that day. There was no such thing as workmen's compensation. And so we have to recognize, first of all, that this is something different than what we deal with today. And so we need to, first of all, understand that slavery was a way of life in the first century. It was a way of life uh, in the first century. Now, I want you to be careful that we don't think of uh, slavery as just a, a terrible thing because of the abuse and pain and suffering that has happened. We get that idea from our American understanding of slavery. In fact, in many ways, uh, American slavery was some of the worst slavery uh, known to the history of man. In the Roman Empire, a third of all people at the time of Paul's writings found themselves as slaves. But you'd be amazed by the kind of tasks and roles that they had. Some of them served as doctors, as lawyers, even as politicians, you, even, you also had those that were more common as laborers and house servants. But there were a lot of slaves during that time, millions upon millions. And yet, for the sake of time, I can't get into the, all of the issues. I want to address a couple things in regards to what the Bible says about slavery. But I want you to also know that in your bulletins, there's an insert that speaks to the subject of, does the Bible condone this practice? And the reason why I have that in there this morning is because the Bible never explicitly uh, attacks the issue of slavery. It never says, there's nowhere in the Bible, that it says slavery is wrong. And of course, uh, liberal uh, uh, theologians and uh, agnostics and atheists will point to that and say, uh, that is just so contradictory uh, to that which the Bible talks about in so many other places. But we need to understand that while Paul, especially here, doesn't speak uh, against the subject of slavery, he does try to reorder the process in which a slave and a master interact with one another. And in fact, the Bible speaks clearly to this issue of slavery and how it needs to reflect the relationship that we have with Christ. Notice for a moment in uh, Galatians 3.28. Turn in your Bibles just back to the uh, left a bit. To the book of Galatians, chapter 3, 28. 
And Paul here, again, the same author as in Titus, says in Galatians 3, and starting in verse 26, as you're turning there, he says the following, again speaking to a group of people where there would be slaves and those that are free in the congregation. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. He goes on to say in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And then he goes on and says, male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. You need to understand that Christianity was not an anti-slavery movement, but it was an anti-sin and an um, uh, anti-pursuit of selfish gains and selfish desires of man movement that turned the hearts of people to Christ. And so one of the greatest things that the Bible articulates to all mankind is the following. All men are sinners. No matter your race, no matter your creed, no matter your nationality, all of us are sinners. All of us are in need of grace. No more uh, than the other. Meaning I don't need uh, grace as a free man uh, any less than a slave might need it in our time and context today. All men, all women, free and slave alike, are all equal at the cross of Jesus Christ. All receive the same grace and the same mercy. And so Paul says, all of you are a part of this body of Christ. We are equal no matter what our present context finds ourselves in at this point. Paul also declares in his writings, not only that we're all equal, but he speaks to that which would have been incredibly unpopular in his time, and that is that masters were to treat their slaves with justice, fairness, and remembering that they too have a master in heaven. Turn for a moment, if you're in Galatians, to the book of Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5, gives us some important information regarding this subject of slaves and masters. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with a sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not to win, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And now masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. In the book of Colossians, just for a moment, turn a couple more pages to your right. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1 says the following to masters. Again, a very unpopular statement, I'm sure, at this time, because masters had uh, all the oversight of their slaves and could do whatever uh, they wanted. And yet, in Colossians 4.1, this is what Paul says. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. And so Paul articulates the need for a humane treatment of the slaves during his time. And he articulates over and over again the importance of a healthy relationship, especially if one of them, master or slave, found themselves to be a child of God. 
In our text today, Paul addresses five areas that a slave is to serve wholeheartedly to the Lord as he serves wholeheartedly to his master. But before we get there, there's a second issue that we need to uh, revisit. And that is that uh, slavery is a way of life for every Christian. In the passage that I just read from the book of Galatians, we too are slaves. The Bible speaks over and over again that the way of life for a believer uh, is slavery. In fact, in uh, Titus chapter 1, Paul calls himself a doulos, a slave for the gospel and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to recognize as we look at the life of uh, the issue of slavery, that while we understand it in a physical realm, we understand it in a cultural realm, that we too are slaves in our own right. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that either we are a slave to sin or a slave to Jesus Christ. And so there's a dichotomy. We're a slave to something. We're in bondage to something. And the question will be, will it be Christ or will it be our own sin? And so we need to recognize these two realities of slavery. It was a part of the first century way of life and that it was true for all of us as believers. Now notice the second thing this morning. The second thing that we need to then bring out is as we remember this issue of slavery, we need to also recognize and remember some inspirational stories about slaves. Right before we begin to think that slavery is an issue that is so bad and so heinous, which it is, that God cannot use it for the good, we have to be reminded that God did amazing things in the lives of his people who were slaves. Remember the book of Exodus, as we uh, just heard saying uh, about the idea of Passover, that three million Israelites in bondage, without any shedding of blood, because God was with them in their struggle as slaves, that one of the greatest nations in the world would release them and allow them to leave with all the treasures of Egypt, because God was with his people, the slave the slaves of the Jewish people, or the slaves of the Egyptian people, the Jews. And yet we see story after story, and I want to highlight three of them for you, and write these down, because these would be important for us to go back to and remember, because you may find yourself, as we apply this to our own culture today, in a no-win situation. And you'll say, Tim, there's no way that I can win over my boss. You don't know him or you don't know her. Uh, there are vicious people out there who work as employers. And yet I want you to recognize that when Christ moves in the heart of his people to submit to his word and to his calling, the sky is the limit on what can take place. The first example of that is Joseph in Genesis 39 and, and uh, continuing through the book of Genesis. You, you, many of you know the story of, Genesis, of uh, Joseph in Genesis. The story of uh, a young man who is uh, traded in by his brothers in an uh, opportunity to rid uh, themselves of Joseph. They sell him to a group of Ishmaelite traders that are heading to Egypt. And Joseph is uh, now brought into the world of slavery. When he gets to Egypt, uh, he enters into a man's house named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a, uh, a great man of influence, a great man of authority in the nation of Egypt. 
And Joseph works there. And the scriptures tell us, and it would be important that you go back to Genesis 39 and are reminded of these truths, because Joseph serves in such a way that brings such great success to Potiphar's family that Potiphar puts him as a slave over all of his household. Now, that would have been enough to make the story go great. But then God allows trial and tribulation to come into Joseph's life. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of uh, assault, And as a result of that, Joseph finds himself in prison. But Joseph doesn't stop there. Again, faithfulness, he proves it over and over again to the prisoners as well as to his captors in prison. And that same slave in Egypt, a foreigner nonetheless, is one then who rises up because God's hand was on him and because he worked and served with integrity to be a second in rule over all of Egypt. And through one slave's life, He was able to save an entire generation, an entire nation from famine. That's a story of one slave. Another story that comes out is the story of Daniel. Daniel uh, was taken into captivity by the Babylonians uh, because the nation of Israel had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And as a result of that, David is taken with a group of other young men to be slaves, not in Israel, but taken back to uh, the place of the Babylonian Empire. And they are placed in uh, the courts to be used for their knowledge and intellect and and to be overseen as as the smartest of the smart, the most uh, bright of all of the slaves in all of the empire. And as a result of that, Daniel has a struggle because Daniel is told that he has to eat things and drink things that are unbecoming for a young Jewish boy. And so as a result of that, Daniel has a question. While he serves faithfully to his bosses and to his uh, slave masters, a point comes where he cannot obey God and obey his earthly masters. And so he chooses to obey God, and he does this throughout his life. And again, a slave boy turns into one who is faithful and lives a life of integrity and character in fidelity to God in heaven. And as a result of that, rises up to be one of the greatest officials uh, under many different kings and many different empires. God takes a slave and with his hand upon him, uses him to do great things. One final example of how God uses uh, slaves to change the world is the story of the three Hebrew boys not too long after uh, the story of Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Stories that, of course, we heard as young children. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are slaves. They're slaves that are called, uh, again, to bow down in worship to an earthly king and an earthly image. And instead of doing that, uh, what these three slaves do is they say, we're not going to do that. We are going to worship our God and him alone. And we know the story. The slave masters, the king, throws them into a fiery furnace. But again, God, because he loves and because he uses even the most difficult of circumstances of slavery for his goodness and glory, allows them not to be burned in the fire. And as a result of three slaves' commitment and testimony to Jesus Christ, an entire nation has changed, and the heart of a king repents and turns to the living God. Why do I bring all this up? Because in a moment, we're going to talk about what it means for you to live like Christ in the workplace. 
And again, the, the common thing will be, well, Tim, you don't recognize how bad I have it. You don't understand how incredibly difficult it is for me to serve as a Christian. Let me assure you of this. If Paul is speaking to a group of slaves who have very little say about their circumstances, how much more are we called to obedience in a world where we have all the say in the world, all the opportunity in the world uh, to do and to say what we need to in our workplace today. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, let us understand that it's not the same as in our present context, but I would say in light of this passage, it forces us to live with even greater obedience because our circumstances are far better on our behalf. And so notice the third point this morning is that we are to receive some instruction. We're to receive some instruction regarding submission. We now recognize the original intent uh, of this writing, that they are to teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Now, how do we begin to apply it to our own scenario in life? As we fast forward to the 21st century, we receive these words that are quite applicable to each of us each and every week. What you're going to hear today is going to work well for you, whether or not you have kind and generous employers or if you feel like Bob Cratchit working for Ebenezer Scrooge. No matter who you are, Paul has words for you that when followed will glorify God and will give you greater opportunities to enhance the gospel in your workplace. So let's look at the text. Notice Paul says slaves are to be subject to their masters. What does this mean to be subject to their masters? The word subject there in the Greek is the word hupotasso. Hupotasso, and this word hupotasso was a military term that described the activity of the soldiers lining themselves up to be reviewed by the general according to their proper rank. And so you would have the privates over here, and the, and the corporals over here, and the lieutenants over here, and the colonels, and then of course the lower level generals. All of them according to their rank in place within uh, the order of authority. And so we have this word, hupotasso, that we are to subject ourselves, we are to submit ourselves to it. Now, this word, hupotasso, when not used in a military form, referred to a voluntary attitude of one placing, your, placing oneself under the authority of another. And so this isn't just because someone has told you to do it, but Paul is saying be subject to your earthly masters because it comes from the heart, because you desire for that to take place. Now notice a couple other things about this word. It isn't just involving something that has to do with your actions. Paul isn't just saying, well, fake it and get through it, grin and bear it each day that you're in the workplace, but it has to do with an attitude. This is seen uh, in the understanding of the text as we look at this word hupotasso because, first of all, it's seen in the present tense, which means that our subjection, our submission to our earthly masters is to happen on a continual basis. This isn't something that we do when our performance review comes up, but it's something that we do at all times. It also is found in what we call the reflective voice, which means our submission is to be passive in nature. What I mean by that is that it doesn't mean that you're passive in living that out, but that it applies that the role that you have on a Monday morning and and throughout the work week is to first of all know your role and rank. Second of all, it means recognizing those that are in authority over you. 
But as it's not just done, and this is where the reflective aspect comes in, not with your actions, but it begins with your spirit. And some of you are struggling today because you know that your call uh, each and every workday is to please your master, uh, but it's only done out of action, not out of the heart. I want you to notice for a moment, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 5, and notice in verse 18, speaking of the filling of the Holy Spirit and what the filling of the Holy Spirit does. He says in verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that, first of all, when you walk in on Monday mornings, you're filled with the Spirit, that you're able to sing and give thanks to God for the job that you've been given. And it's because of that spirit-filled aspect of, of your heart and life that you'll be able to then live out what the next verse says, and that is that you will then be able to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some of us are struggling with submission in our lives when it comes to our earthly masters because the Spirit of God isn't being submitted to in our own lives. We fail to prepare ourselves for the work week uh, and, and as a result of that, we live out of the flesh instead of living prepared to be filled with the Spirit in light of all that comes our way with Christ in that workplace and environment. Now notice, he says that the submission is to take place in everything. We aren't just to be submissive in the things that come easy to us. We aren't to just be submissive in the things that we enjoy. But we are to do even the things that we don't like to do. We may, it may mean we are submissive even when we think that we are right, when we are smarter than the boss, when we can do a better job than the boss. This means submitting to the bosses or, su- or supervisors who make your blood boil. This is what it's talking about. Even when they seem to be trying to get a pound of flesh out of you, that you are to be submissive. Now, the only place that I can figure that there's an exception to this, because the word in everything literally means no exceptions. But according to Scripture, we understand that when we talk about all exceptions, it would have to, first of all, be funneled through what we would submit to Christ for. And so if our boss tells us to do something that is different than what our king in heaven tells us, then what trumps our boss is Jesus Christ. And so when your boss says, hey, uh, why don't you go ahead and change those numbers, or why don't you make sure that you undercut uh, some competition by doing some things that go against the scriptures, that is the opportunity that you have to say, I'm sorry, and with all due respect, you say, I can't do it. It's not that I don't want to submit to you, but as Hebrew national uh, hot dog says, uh, I am uh, accountable to a higher authority. So I want to serve you, I want to honor you, but what you're asking me to do goes beyond what I can do because to do what you've asked me to do will break an even greater authority who is God in heaven. And I will tell you, it will get one of two responses. Either you get patted on the back and say, wow, you're an incredible person of character and integrity, or you'll get kicked in the butt and said, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And Paul understands this and knows this and recognizes the difficulty that slaves will have. And yet, as we serve Christ and honor him, 
it will be seen in three areas. Notice what Paul says. In the text, Paul says that there are three areas where this submission is to take place. First of all, it says that uh, we are to teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them. And he says to not talk back to them. To not talk back. This involves our conversation. The text tells us that we are not to talk back. Literally, it means not to speak against another. To gossip or to slander would be another synonym of this. This doesn't mean, and please understand, that you don't share your grievances. Some of the greatest times that I have as an employer is when an employee comes into my office and says to me, hey, hey boss, can I talk with you about something? This just doesn't seem very fair. I will tell you, when an employee does that and speaks honestly and openly about their concerns of what they're bothered by in the workplace, they will receive great honor and respect by me, the employer. But what they will not receive respect and honor is when I find out that they're talking behind my back. When they're lamenting to their other employees and speaking, and and you you say, Tim, I know you, you're the greatest boss in the world. It happens. It happens even to Tim Bedall. I, I, wanted, I told my employees that I was speaking on this. They said, give us the pulpit. Give us the mic. We'll set you straight. They sometimes struggle greatly with me. I want to be fair. And sometimes we don't see eye to eye on everything. But what I expect is because, and I will say this all the time, as an employer, I will treat you with respect and I desire the same thing. And so as Christians, how much more, even though you have one who may not respect you or honor you for the person that you are, Paul says don't speak back to them. Don't be argumentative. Don't be one who is known as to be a rabble rouser with your mouth and with your actions within the workplace. Cheerful compliance without arguing or complaining is the norm for the Christian employee. Now notice the second thing. It's the conduct. It says that slaves are not to steal. They are not to steal. Notice what the text says. It says that they are uh, not to uh, steal from them. Now, this word means literally to misappropriate or to embezzle the company for one's use. Slaves were often entrusted with a family's funds and possessions. And it would be easy, and I'm sure many of you have found yourself here. You're a part of a major multi-million dollar company, and you say, you know what, here I slave and I work and, and I just do all of these things that are asked of me, and I make such little money, and look at my boss. He's, he's living in great luxury. And so what does it really matter if this Fortune 500 company uh, notices if I take this office supply? The stapler, or, or if I, I take a little time extra off for myself, no one's really going to know. I mean, there's thousands of employees that are in here. I'm just one uh, individual that nobody knows in a cubicle. And so do they really know that I'm on Facebook 40% of the time at work? Do they recognize that I'm doing things other than my job? This world, the word stealing doesn't speak of grand theft, but it speaks about stealing the little things. This is about the things that will go unnoticed. I will tend to, to think of our congregation not as a group who will be known in the newspapers as people that embezzle and steal, but I will tell you, as Christians, the temptation is there to steal in the small stuff when no one is looking. Paul says you can't do this. No matter how much you think that you are uh, not being paid what you're worth, you deal with that, especially in our culture, through the right avenues and channels. 
You don't steal from them. God will not be honored. His name will not be glorified if we take that into our own hands. Now notice the character. Notice the character. What's going to keep a believer from being tempted to badmouth their employer or to argue with their boss or to keep from taking things that aren't theirs? There are two things that come out. First of all, we go back just a little bit where it says in verse 9 that they are to try to please their masters. They're to try to please them. The idea here is that you have an attitude of cheerful service and that this comes as you serve Christ. So you've got Ebenezer Scrooge working as your employer. What you do is you say, you know what? It's not so much that I'm serving you, Ebenezer, but I'm serving Christ as I serve you. And so I'm looking through you and serving you so that I can get the greater blessing and the greater opportunity to serve my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now this quickly goes back to the issue of submission for women because many of you say, it is very difficult for me to submit to my husband because he is an incredibly difficult man to submit to. And I would contend that you've got it all mixed up. Your job, first of all, is to submit to Christ and you submit to Christ no matter if if you've got a good husband or a bad husband, he's secondary. And so as you submit to him, you are submitting to the greater authority, Jesus Christ. And so we are to try to please them as we please Christ. Second, we are to work in such a way that shows ourselves to be trustworthy. Notice what the text says. That they are to not steal from them, verse 10, but to show them that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about our God our Savior attractive. And so the next aspect or motivation is that we would be able to show ourselves to be trustworthy. In your workplace, and nobody else can answer this but you, this following question, are you one who is known as a trustworthy individual? In a small business like I run, there, are, there have been employees that I can trust And there are employees that I can't trust. And I will assure you of this, and and I'm sure it is true in the corporate world as it is in the 5Bs catering world, and that is if your boss can't trust you, you better believe you will never find yourself in a place of promotion. Because if he can, and it's a scriptural principle, if you can't be trusted with the little things, what makes you think that you'll be entrusted with greater things? And so this is why it's so important that you don't talk back to your employers, that you don't steal from them, because the stealing and the talking back will erode the trust that your employer has for you. I like what Matthew Henry says about this issue of faithfulness. He says the following, Faithfulness in a servant's life lies in the ready, punctual, and thorough execution of his master's orders. It involves keeping his confidence and trust, dispatching his affairs, and managing with frugality to bring the greatest benefit to his master as he is able, looking well to his trust and preventing as far as he can all spoil, loss, or damage. When you as a Christian take on the role of being an employee, that should be your heart. I want to make the company as successful as it can be. I don't do it so much to gain a promotion as much as I do it so that God will be honored that when the company looks down at me in my cubicle, they see one they say, who is this Mr. Smith? This Mr. Smith who seems to do everything that we ask him to do. 
And that this Mr. Smith is doing it, and, and he doesn't have an easy supervisor over him, but he seems to be faithful. Every time we ask him or her to do something, they're faithful to see it done. It is then that the Scripture tells us why we must then finally, point number four, remember the importance of such a strategy. Why do we do this? Why are we to live this way? Well, it's important that we remember why Paul tells us this. Because it isn't so we can get a promotion, And it isn't that a promotion is a bad thing. In fact, I think it is good and it is healthy for us to desire to do as well of a job as we can so that others will see that and that we may be given greater responsibilities and opportunities. But that isn't our sole desire. The sole desire should begin, or the the, the greatest desire should begin in verse 10. So that in every way, They will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. The reason why we do this is to beautify that which is already beautiful. To adorn, another translation says. Paul says to make the gospel attractive. This word attractive uh, literally is the word cosmeo, the word we get cosmetics from. In the original idea of this word was to arrange a jewel in a way that would allow it to attain its greatest beauty. And so I want you to think about this. You are one who carries around this fine jewel. And your job as a Christian isn't to be the fine jewel, but to be the holder of this fine jewel. And your job is to put it into the right perspective with the right light on it so that that jewel will be more brilliant and more beautiful than it would be if it was in your pocket. And so what are you taking? This jewel to work is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a Christ follower, and your job each day is to walk in with this jewel, and as you serve your earthly masters, as you are faithful and trustworthy, that jewel of the gospel is adorned for what it is. It already is beautiful. It already is brilliant. But it is our placing that before the right people in the right light so that our boss, our employers, our supervisors will look at us and say, it isn't so much that they're just a great guy, but it's because of that God that they serve. Let me close with this thought. Some of you would be scared to death to share your faith in the workplace. And I would pray and hope that uh, as we mature and grow, that would be an opportunity that you would not uh, long not to be a part of, but you would yearn to have the process and opportunity to do that. But I would also add that you don't have to go and have John 3.16 across your suit or WWJD bracelets all over your body to be a witness at work. It begins by tomorrow morning waking up and praying that God would give you the strength, the encouragement, and the endurance to live as Jesus did, to serve as Jesus did. Even though men and women abused him and hurt him, he honored God as he submitted to the will of his Father in heaven by being the best Savior that God had called him to be. And in doing so, he brought many people to himself. Our job isn't to be Savior, but our job is to be Christ's followers who serve Christ in our workplaces, no matter how difficult they are, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ in our workplace will be declared to everyone we come into contact with. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for what it's teaching us through this book of Titus. Father, I pray that you would enable us uh, to live this way. Lord, it's easy to sit there and say, yes, I can do this while we sit in a pew. But Lord, when we sit back in those chairs, in those cubicles, at those desks, 
tomorrow, it will grow ever more difficult. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone who ventures off tomorrow morning or even tonight, Lord, uh, to be a part of another work week. Lord, I pray that we would not just be known for our worship here at church, but we would be known for our witness at work. Father, I pray that you would give us the uh, strength to be able to go through difficult times when our job is being held over us as a result of not doing something, Lord, we'd be faithful to say, I can't do it because I want to honor my Savior in heaven. But Lord, many times it doesn't have to do with our job as much as it has to do with our attitude and just doing what we've been called to do. So Lord, I pray that the people of this church would be known, would be advertising the gospel of Jesus Christ by faithfully serving those in authority over them. Thank you, Lord, first of all, that we are not slaves uh, that we don't have a say in our affairs. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom in this country and the, and the different uh, uh, regulations that uh, oversee our work environment. And, Lord, we would be remiss if we did not thank you for bringing those to our lives. But, Lord, it then gives us all the more reason why we should wholeheartedly love and affirm the authority of those above us and to do as they say, to not to steal and to try to please them in every way. Lord, allow us to please you as we please those in authority over us. Now, Lord, lead us from this place into our adult Bible fellowships and into our Sunday school classes that we may continue to grow in our knowledge of you and grow in our fellowship with one another. To you be the glory for the great things that you have done now and forevermore. And all Christ's people said, amen.